All right, good morning. Welcome back to Pacific Standard Time. Raise your hand if you took advantage of the extra hour of sleep. Uh-oh. I did. For the first time in all of my recollected history, I actually went to bed on time, and I feel great today. Who knew? 44 years later, I figured it out, right? Um, one of the things that uh, I used to do, I'll admit, is that I would cheat myself, and I would just stay up a little later. It's not really 11 o'clock at night. It's only 10. I can watch a little bit more video, right? Thankfully, I didn't do that today. Hopefully, my message is clear to you. Uh, in order to help ensure that, let's start in prayer. Our God-loving Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word today as we continue uh, to read themes in Romans. We pray that uh, this message is not polluted by this broken vessel that's up here speaking, but rather that your spirit speaks through me today and that we, um, we proclaim the gospel first and foremost to any that may need it that are between these doors and um, secondarily, if, if the folks in the room know Christ, may they be encouraged, spurred on in their faith today by your message. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to go over what I'm going to tell you. So I'm going to recap a little bit about last week. We'll see if I was paying attention to Jason's message. Um, I'm going to pop quiz you to see if you are paying attention to Jason's message. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about justification through faith. Um, oh, yeah, it's up there already. All right, justified by faith. That's the theme that we're going to talk about today. I'll spend a little bit of time on justification, a little bit of time on faith, and then talk about how those are connected through Jesus and Jesus alone. So, uh-oh, these aren't in order. Pop quiz. I have 100 grand up here for anyone that can tell me the two big words that Jason introduced to us last week and define them. No? Hint, they both end in Jesus. I heard it. Who said that? Deb? What do they mean? What do they mean? Yeah, eisegesis means that we're taking our opinions, culture, and thoughts and putting it into the Bible and trying to read it and define it that way. Exegesis is the opposite and the correct way to study Scripture, which is we pull themes out here and overlay them on our life and our culture, and we see, are we doing it right or not? So my, my uh, hope is that I'm doing exegesis today and helping us do that. So here's your 100 grand. Um, it's kind of a play on words. Right? Hopefully your hopes weren't too high. So let's uh, go to the recap. Um, I think one of the, the primary things that we learned is the role of the law. We learned that the law doesn't save us, right? The law is a measuring tool. I brought a measuring tool myself today because I like to teach Sunday schools type lessons because I'm that type of guy. This is a measuring tool, yes? Everyone's used one of these before, I hope. Either a tape or maybe even just a ruler, right? You measure up. If I were to take this and tell you, let's stretch it out to a certain length. Four feet, five feet, six feet, six foot, seven. 
Okay, there's six feet seven. If I told you that I'm six feet seven tall, would you believe me? No. Why? Because you're six foot eight and you can look down? No? You have an idea what that looks like. What about if I said I was six foot four? Hmm? I see some maybes. But if I hold this up, you'll find out, no, I'm not. I'm actually six foot three, right? I don't measure up. I don't measure up to that. And that's what the law does for us spiritually, right? Am I a good person? I don't know. Stretch the law out and find out. No. Right? It says I'm not. Because I believe we learned last week, if I'm guilty of breaking one law, I'm just the same as I've broken them all. So the law just gives us knowledge of our sin. We're aware of what our sin is, and then it puts us in a mindset of, oh no, I am a sinner. Um, let's see here. Moving on to justification. So uh, finishing that thought up, we had Romans three nineteen through 20 um, presented to us that by the law, no one is justified in God's sight. And I want to move on to um, Romans 3.23. Should we make this interactive today? Who brought a Bible? Show of hands, because I'd love to have you participate. Or if you have a phone, you've got the Bible too, right? If you have the app. Romans 3.23, does anyone have that? I'll give you a second to look that up. Raise your hand if you got it and you want to belt it out. I'm the only one with the mic. Over here, I saw it first, go ahead. Yeah, so that first part, remember, fell short. I told you I was six foot seven, six foot four, I fell short. Told you I'm a good person compared to the law, I fell short. I'm very guilty of the same thing myself. <clears throat> In Romans 6.23, just moving forward three chapters, anyone have that one? And I want you to start with just the first phrase. Starts with the wages. Anybody got that? Yes. Stop. The wages of sin is death. So what does that mean? That means we didn't measure up. So what's the punishment for not measuring up, for having sin? It's death. That's a big uh-oh, right? In fact, if you're not saved, I think by reading through what we had from the law showing us that we're sinners, from having these two verses here in Romans, we're showing that uh, we're in a bad state, right? There could be a lot of anxiety behind that. And frankly, there should be anxiety behind that. Um, the next word in that verse that you read, just that next word. But, yes, there's a but there. That is one of those phrases, one of those English words. This doesn't make any sense to you yet, but it will. Um, one of those phrases that changes everything, right? So I want to give you sort of a practical example of this. Let's, this is my dream car, if one were to have a dream car. Anybody know what it is, just by eyeballing it? Yeah, Porsche 911 GT3. Um, let's say I went to the dealership, and I finally went there. I could just smell the new car smells. I walked into the dealership showroom floor. There this is, right? Spinning on that little thing that spins. I don't know what those are called. Um, and I look at it, and I go up, and I look, and I get in it. I smell that Napa leather. 
I feel that steering wheel. I start to play with the gear shifter because I think Porsches still have those. You can at least get them that way. And I start to envision myself heading over to Napa, curly roads over there by the coast, and just having a blast. I play with the knobs and the buttons. I fire it up and I hear the roar of an engine and I'm so excited. I call a salesman over. He lets me take it for a spin. We go out, I'm sold. This is the car that I want. But I don't have any money, so I go home. In the business world, I remember taking a communication class, and they said, you can just throw out everything that's before the word but. And typically in the business world, what we're hearing is excuses that come right after, right? It's something that, well, I had intentions to do this, this, and this, boss, but this is what really happened. And then you have to deal with whatever that problem or failure is, right? But I want to point out, coming back to our scripture, that when you're hearing bad news, in the case of you don't measure up, You've broken the law, therefore you're a sinner, and your wages for being a sinner is death. That word but that comes next is probably the best thing. What a cliffhanger it becomes. And if you'd read the rest of that verse. Yeah, there came the good news. The gospel's called the good news, and that's what it is. Because you've got all this stacked up against you by the law, basically pointing out and saying, showing you that you're a sinner, showing that you've broken the law, showing that you're worthy of death, and then, but, it changes the story, right? So the gospel comes from there. Um, Galatians 3.24, if someone wants to pick that one up. Eyeballing for hands. Galatians 3, 24. Oh, over here. Go ahead. Yes, justified by faith. There's that word, justified. The law was our guardian. If you back up a few verses there too, it says that basically the law was our prison cell and our guardian over us in the prison cell because we're trapped, we're in sin. Um, if you're familiar with what the the um, priests did back in the day of the Jews and the Hebrews. I'm going to turn here to Hebrews, and I won't, let you, I won't have you read it because it's a lot here. Um, the law required the wages of sin to be paid in death. In this case, it was a sacrifice of animals, correct? And what I really like about Hebrews 10 here is it talks about God's perspective on this. It says, uh, Hebrews 10, the law is only a shadow of good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? It's an interesting concept, right? Every year they're, they're sacrificing animals for the, you know, the atonement of sins, but it's not perfect. It doesn't make it so you aren't going to sin the next day, the next hour after that's over, right? Um, because it says, uh, continuing on, for the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, or but, 
When Christ came into the world, sacrifice, this is him speaking to his father, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared me with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you are not pleased. Then I said, here am I, it is written about me in the scroll, I've come to do your will, my God. So then we skip down here, like verse 11, it says, day after day, priests stand and perform their religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, who's this priest? Jesus. When this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Priests didn't sit down. Their work was never done. Jesus did it once, and he got to sit down because it's the once and for all sacrifice. For by one sacrifice for 14 he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. <clears throat> Homework assignment for you if you want. This is bonus, bonus credit. Uh, I would recommend going home and reading Hebrews 10 and 11. Uh, there's a lot more there to this, but those are just the sections that I wanted to highlight in particular. One of the things that I want to really point out, though, is that um, in this, when it's talking about Jesus being the perfect sacrifice once and for all, it doesn't say anything about you and me. It doesn't talk about you and me doing something about it too, right? That's something that we just, um, our justification has nothing to do with us. It's all his work doing the will of the Father. And one of the things I wanted to point out and talk about, I think I got another picture for you guys. This one makes a little bit more sense. Oops. Maybe, maybe not. Here we go. Uh this is about nine years old, but it's the best picture of this particular obstacle in a Tough Mudder race that um, Naomi and I had done with some cousins and friends. It's called the Mud Mile. Uh, it's pretty gross looking, right? That's, <laughs> that's just a big pile of mud. It's nothing more disgusting than that. This is just dirt and water, right? So uh, I can't remember. Was there 10 or 12 of these like ditches, then humps of mud, and then you had to keep climbing in and out and over them? I know Stephen's with us today over in the children's. I wish he was in here because I'd have him talk about it a little bit too. He's done like, I don't know, 500 of these races. I've only done six. Um, but one of the, I could find probably a million analogies for our Christian faith in, in the Tough Mudder courses and what it means and how you need people's help. But I wanted to specifically talk about this obstacle in particular because it's one of the first ones you encounter typically when you go to those races. Um, you can't do this by yourself. You hop into that first pit of mud, you're up to your waist or chest, depending on how deep it is. And I don't know if you can tell, but where all of our hands are touching, that is the slickest substance known to mankind, if you didn't know this. Wet mud. Trying to climb up that thing is the most futile thing you'll ever try on your own. And it's hilarious to watch your friends and family and others try that first before you figure out, I can't do this myself. Um, very similarly, as I was thinking about, you know, I can't work out my own justification. This is something that only Jesus has done. I just instantly thought of this. I thought about, oh man, the only way I was getting out of this is by someone reaching their hand down once they're already over the top and pulling you up and over that obstacle, pulling you out of that pit. Jesus pulls us out of the pit of sin. Only he can pull us out of that pit. There's no claw on your way out of it. There's no way of justifying yourself against the law by yourself.
Transitioning on into faith. Actually, before I do, let me, let me point out, um, justification is once and for all, like we just read in Hebrews, justification is finished. And how long does it take to be justified? Wild guess, anybody? Instant. That's the exact word I was looking for. Thank you. She's not a plant, I swear. Um, Instant. Justification is instant. The moment you accept Christ as your Savior and Lord over your life, you're justified. His righteousness is imparted upon you at that moment. Not to be confused with sanctification, which is the process of becoming more Christ-like from that moment forward in the rest of your life, right? That is what uh, the beauty of faith in Christ brings you, is that as you walk with the Lord, you grow in that wanting to be more like Him, wanting to serve the way that He served, etc. Um, let's see, Romans 3.28. Someone wants to grab that one. While you're flipping there, I'm going to flip somewhere else. Anybody got it yet? Romans 3.28. Go ahead. Yeah. So it's, it's key there. It says justified by faith apart from works of the law. <clears throat> Excuse me. So again, nothing to do with us. That justification is through faith, faith in Jesus. Uh, said differently in Ephesians 2, uh, it's 8 and 9 here, I think. I'll read it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That would take away the credit, right? If we had to do it, it would take away the credit of what Jesus did, what God allowed, God's ultimate plan of redemption for us in justifying us through the sacrifice of his own son. Uh, if it was us plus something, if it was him plus something we had to do, that takes away from the glory and the power of Jesus doing it. Um, so we can't do it ourselves. It's faith, not works. This, um, this concept of like doing it yourself, though, seems to creep into the human mind pretty easily. In fact, it did very soon in the early church. If you turn with me to Galatians 1. By the way, Jason, you saying like go eat popcorn is to figure out how these uh, books are in order. Like saved my mind a lot of time. So thank you very much. Galatians, Ephesians, etc. So Galatians 1, uh, verses 6 and 7. Uh, he says here to the, the church at Galatia, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion 
and you're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So this is where Christ plus or Christ and theology started to like creep in. It creeped, crept into the church here. The Galatians were dealing with this. This is very early. And, um, and so it's, it's interesting that Paul is saying to them, I'm shocked, I'm astonished that you have so quickly moved on to another gospel. And there really is no other gospel, right? He says there really is no other gospel at all is what you're believing right now. So it's a false gospel at that point. He's very clear to say that there's no other truth than salvation comes from faith alone, in Jesus alone, by God's grace alone. Right? You didn't see your name inserted anywhere in there, right? Nope. 100% Jesus. And I wanted to take a moment, because I think it's very important when we read through these things to, um, and I hope I'm speaking this correctly when it comes to exegesis, but pulling out the thought of like, how am I doing that? I think it's really, really easy for us to read these things as sort of like the separate piece. Oh, I'm not a Galatian. This is stupid Galatians. What are they thinking? Why did they bring in Jesus plus? You know, Christ and. Rather, I would challenge you to say like, well, how am I doing that? Do I have anxiety that's uncontrolled because I'm trying to do everything myself? Do I walk through my job, my family life, whatever, with a sense of pride of, look what I can do, right? Whether acknowledged or not, it's really good to examine those things to ensure that we're not repeating the mistakes that the Galatians made, right? We're just as susceptible. We're just as capable. And I think that um, our society that we live in today promotes that sort of behavior. If any of you scroll through Instagram, Facebook, or whatever media of your choice, there's a lot of talk about self this, self love, I can do it, I don't need anyone else. Um, so it's, it's an invasive pressure on us to rely on ourselves. And so I think as we try and walk through this world in, in it, but be not a part of it, we have to continually examine those sort of things. And be careful that when we read through scripture that we take the time to pause and think, how am I doing this to? because I probably am in some fashion. So running through this one more time, I want to make sure that we get this. It's beautifully simple. It's beautifully simple what God has done for us and what he's laid out in his plan. He had a law. We fell short of that law. We don't measure up. He also provided us a solution. But, but wait, there's more. Jesus. Jesus came on the scene. Jesus paid that ultimate sacrifice that one time through his death, which we get to remember today in communion. That's what this is up here for, if you aren't aware. This represents the body and blood of Christ that was that sacrifice that did this, that gave us that justification. Just by having faith that he is who he said he was, that he came here, the Son of God, lived a perfect life, the only human to live a perfect life where he did measure up to the law, gave up that life for us on the cross, rose again three days later, defeating sin and death and giving us that victory uh, through his grace. We don't deserve it. It's through his grace. And we get the privilege and pleasure of remembering that today in these emblems over here. I want to call up the worship team now. I have one last thought, if I can get to the right 
wide. <laughs> that gives us peace. That anxiety that I talked about through us wanting to do it ourselves, to um, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, you know what I mean? Those things that we're just sort of like innately taught in our culture. We, because we don't measure up and we're dishonest with ourselves about measuring up and our capabilities and what we really can do, we'll find that when we stray from following Jesus and having our faith in our walk with him, we'll find ourselves having more stress, more problems, more complications. And so I encourage you to continue to just leave it all in his hands. Whatever it is that you may be going through, whether it's personal, whether it's work, whether it's um, interrelational, spousal, girlfriend, boyfriend, it doesn't matter. That's all out there. You're trying to do it yourself? Pray. Confess, like, I can't do this, God. This is for you. I leave it in your hands.